Denise. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to the Gospel of Luke. We'll continue our study there in chapter 7, looking this morning at verses 18 through 29. Luke 7, verses 18 through 29. Uh, while y'all turn there, I'll just tell you, I was teaching the, the Sunday school class this morning, so it's uh, Wes and Amelia and, and that group, uh, Ford and Miller, and there, there were so many things that I, I really wish I had recorded it. Like, it was incredible this morning. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if they just, I don't know if it was the breakfast. I don't know what it was, but it was really good. So there's, I may have some references to it as we go, so just get ready. Um, Luke chapter 7. Let me read this to us. Starting in verse 18, it says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and, diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than that, a pro- more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves not having been baptized by him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this portion of your holy and inerrant word, we pray that you would go before us, uh, that you would guide us in this study. Uh, Lord, teach us the things that we need to hear so that we might bow before you, we might grow closer to you, and we might leave this place uh, with confidence and assurance of who you are and what you have done through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Are you the one? Well, I imagine at some point we have all found ourselves asking that question. And I suspect that if we were asking that question, then it was at some point in our lives that was pretty critical. We, we were asking some questions that, that were really important. Most obviously, many of us have asked this question when we were considering the the possibility of who it was that we were going to marry. You know, you've dated somebody for a while, uh, things have gotten pretty serious, and you begin to wonder, is, is this person, is he, is she the one? Now, it goes without saying that, that with Renee, I knew from the beginning there, there was no question But if you do a quick Google search, you will see that that, that's not true for everyone. That in fact, it seems that people are desperate to find an answer to this question. And so 
I did it. I just went and looked. I just typed in, is, is she the one? And the first thing that came up was 10 signs that she is the one. Now, apparently for some people, 10 is not enough. So the next one was 18 signs that she was the one. And still, that was not enough, apparently, because there was another one that said 31 signs. Now, if you've got to get to 31, then there may be some doubt. You may need to go look somewhere else. But 31, you can find. Uh, there was also an article on, on psychology today uh, that had examined the, like the brain science, the brain function behind knowing if a person was the one. And then my personal favorite was there was an online quiz you could take to know if the person that you were with is the one you were supposed to be with. Now, I have a ton of questions here. Was it multiple choice? I didn't click it to see. Was it a multiple choice test? What Was it essay? What if you're not a good test taker? This, could, this, this does not seem like the best way to decide. And so a quiz or really an internet search, it may not be the best way to answer the question, but however we approach it, however we try to decide, the, the point is, is we have all felt that, that desire. We, we've all felt uh, the pressure, the need to know if a person, if a job, if an object, a situation, if it was the right one for us. Now, I begin there this morning because as we look at the passage before us, we find that, that John the Baptist, he, he's asking that question, right? He, he's asking not of a significant other, not of a job, but he is asking of Jesus, are you the one? Now, we're going to consider in just a moment the significance of that question coming from John particularly, uh, but just from the beginning, I want us to recognize that that question to Jesus is the most significant question that, that any person could ever ask. It is the question that we are confronted by every time we come through these doors and hear God's word preached. It is the, the question we are confronted by every time we open our Bibles to Scripture Let's be honest, it's the question that we're confronted by every time we go through hardships, every time we go through trials in life. It's the question we're confronted by every time we are tempted to sin or to do things our own way. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the one? The answer to that question, whether it's yes or no, will determine everything that happens next. You know, if the answer is no, then I guess we can move on without a second thought and just try to figure things out ourselves. But if the answer is yes, if all that he claims is true, then we have no choice but to bow before him. If what he says in this word is, is, the, is the absolute truth over this world... Uh, then we have no choice but to bring all of our lives to him as an act of worship. We have to view everything differently than we did before. Either way, whether we answer it with no or whether we answer it with yes, either way, his claims to be the Messiah, to be the Lord, to be God in the flesh, to be the only way to the Father, those claims make the question impossible to avoid. Who is Jesus? Who are you? We can't walk away neutral. We can't walk away as a casual observer. 
No, we must all wrestle with this question. And so from the start this morning, just let me ask you that. Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? What has he done? Is he the one? Now, with that in mind, I want us to look particularly at John the Baptist here and the fact that, that he asked that question. Because I think if we're honest, we will all say that, that it is surprising to find him at this point in his life asking that question. Remember, this is the one who we've already seen in Luke chapter 3 declare, actually even earlier than that, this is the one who in his mother's womb, just at the very voice of Mary, left, right? Uh, This is the one, again, back to Luke chapter 3, who had uh, ordained, who had been ordained to prepare the way for the Lamb of God. This is the one who baptized Jesus, who heard the voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son. You know, it seems that if anybody should know about Jesus, if anybody should have confidence, assurance, it's him. This morning we talked about assurance in Sunday school. I told you I was going to do it. And I said, we have assurance. I said, what is assurance? And Wes said, isn't that that stuff you get for your car? I said, no, that's insurance. This is assurance. So not to be confused, assurance. John should have had it. But here we find that, that maybe he's not so sure. Uh, maybe maybe he's, he's not as confident as we thought he should be. And it's there that I want to begin, okay? First thing I want us to see in this passage is surprising doubt. Surprising doubt. Now, over the last two weeks, we've seen Jesus do great and wonderful miracles, right? We've seen him do amazing things. He's, he's healed the centurion's slave. Uh, He's raised the widow's son from the dead, and Luke is, he's laying the groundwork for for what's coming. He he knew what he was doing when he put those two stories there. Uh, But you remember that Luke recorded in verse 17 that all of this that Jesus had done had caused quite a stir, obviously, and the word about him had spread through all of Judea and through all of the surrounding country. And so it's not surprising to find here uh, that John is getting word of it all from his own disciples. Now, you'll remember again from our study in Luke uh, that, that John has been imprisoned by Herod uh, for speaking out against his, his marriage to Herodias, his, his brother's sister. Uh, and so he's, he's there in prison, and we can imagine that, that his life is not the easiest, right? That, that in fact, it's probably uh, pretty difficult. Uh, He has to be aware, he's made some pretty important people mad, he has to be aware that that his chances of getting out of that situation are not very good. In fact, he he probably has to be aware that his life is probably coming to an end, and it seems that, that as he takes stock, as he thinks about all of those things, that some tough realizations are, are coming to his mind. You know, he, he has spent his life following God. He has spent his life preparing the way for this one who was to come, this Messiah. And it seemed for a time that, that Jesus was that one. But now things are hard. Now things are difficult. And he's asking the question, really, is Jesus the one? Is he who I thought he was? Not only that... 
But, but the reports that, that John is receiving about Jesus, I think it's safe to say that Jesus is not who he thought he was going to be. Again, go back to, to Luke chapter 3, and you remember that, that when the, the Pharisees came out to him, John said, you brood of vipers, who, who told you to flee from the wrath that was to come? It's the Messiah that was bringing the wrath, right? That's what he was looking for. He also said the axe is laid at the root of the tree. He's getting ready to chop it down. Then he said the, the one who was to come, he had a winnowing fork that he would burn with, with an unquenchable fire. I think it's, it's safe to say that, that what, John expe- what, yeah, what John expected from this Messiah was, was a warrior, wrathful, conquering king. As, as John Gooding says in his commentator, about John's attitude. He said it was something like this. It was all right, uh, Jesus going about healing an odd slave here and raising a widow's son from the dead there. John had nothing against that. What about the big issues? When was Jesus going to start putting oppressive governments right? Abolishing evil rulers like Herod, putting down the, the Roman tyranny and giving Israel her political independence. Kind of sounds a, a little bit familiar to us, right? Kind of something that, that we have, have found ourselves asking similar questions. Christ has, has not met John's expectations. And so as his time ticks away, it seems that, that doubts that begin to creep in. He sends his disciples in verse 20 to say, are you the one? Or should we wait for somebody else? I want to pause there because if I'm honest with you, these are tough words. It's, it's tough to see a hero of the faith uh, kind of begin to have some doubts. But, but if we're honest, I think there's a lot of comfort in, in these words for us, right? Obviously, I, I'm no John the Baptist, who in verse 28, Jesus says is the greatest among those born of women. And yes, I know what he says in verse 29, but that's got more to do with Jesus than it does with any man or any of us. But in this case... I find that that I'm so often like John the Baptist, and I suspect that a lot of you are as well. You know, life gets hard, temptations become overwhelming. Maybe we just read the the latest scientific find, the latest scientific theory, uh, or maybe Jesus just hasn't met our expectations. Maybe he just hasn't done for us what we wanted him to do or what we thought he would do. We begin to question all we know to be true, right? Doubts begin to creep in. We begin to, to have a, a crisis of assurance, a crisis of faith. Is Christ really the one? And then our conviction, it wavers, and what happens? Satan pounces, right? You know, he's always prowling around like a lion, looking to jump on us, and that's the time that, that he chooses. Our own hearts begin to, to condemn us. And then the guilt comes. We say, am I, am I really a Christian? If I am really a Christian, how could I think these things? How could I say these things? How could I have these questions? Friends, isn't it comforting to see here that, that even John, here in the very word of God, that he struggled too, that, that he had these times of doubt, that he had these times of fear. You know, the truth is, is that all of us, even the best, we, we all have doubts. Now, if I'm wrong and you don't have that, then praise God. And look, carry on, press on. 
But I think I've shared with you before the, the quote. I got it from Tim Keller. I don't know that, I don't know that it's original to him. Uh, but he said, if you're a Christian who has never had doubts, then you haven't been a Christian for very long. And I think there's, there's truth in that. We are finite, sinful beings, every one of us. And so we struggle to believe the, the great things that God's word promises to us. We struggle to live every day in those promises. But here we're reminded that we don't struggle alone. You are not alone in your doubts. You are not alone in your worries and in your fears. But there's greater news than even that. Greater news is, is that you are not condemned in that either. And that's the, the thing that I want us to see next. Your, your doubts, they don't exclude you from a relationship with Jesus. But instead, what, what we find is that the one who, who we believe in, you know, when we doubt, he is willing and able to give grace and assurance. He wants to do that. He does that for us. And so we've seen surprising doubt, but secondly, I want you to see grace. I want you to see assurance. First, the grace. You know, John's disciples, that they go to Jesus and they find him at just the, the most opportune time, right? He, he's healing He's casting out demons. He's giving the blind sight. He's doing all these wonderful miracles. And so you can almost picture them kind of, kind of coming up with their question, like a little bit nervous, a little bit apprehensive, like we're about to have to ask Jesus if he really is who he says he is, and he's doing all of these things that nobody else in the world has ever done or ever been able to do. And so they're like, hey, John... John wants to know, this is not us, John wants to know if you really are who you say you are. Now surely they thought in that moment that Jesus was just going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Surely they thought that he was going to just come unglued on them or say, hey, can you not see all of this that I'm doing? Surely they thought he was going to embarrass them in front of this great crowd that was coming, maybe call down some of that wrath, some of that fire that John had expected. And let's be honest, if we're truthful, that's exactly what he should have done, right? It's what he probably should do to, to each one of us with our doubts. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth that we are dealing with. This is not some man, you know, he's not obligated to hear our doubts. He is not obligated to, to assure us. He's not obligated to have us stand before him and try to explain himself to us. You parents, you know what this is like. You tell your kids to do something and they don't do it or they ask the, the dreaded question, why? Why do I have to do that? It's well, because I tell you you have to do it, right? Now, how much more is that true of God? We come before him and we say, hey, why do you tell me to do this? Why, why should I believe you? There's no obligation to tell us why. But notice here, he receives them. He brings them in. He allows them to ask their question as silly as it may be. And he doesn't wipe them off the face of the earth. He doesn't mock them or laugh at them. He doesn't embarrass them in front of the great crowd that they're standing before. He gives them grace. He shows them kindness in their doubts. It's how wonderful that is for us today who do struggle, who do need assurance. You can come before God with it all, and he's not afraid. 
He's not scared of those things. He welcomes you to come in. He welcomes you to bring it all to him. That's what David does in the Psalms over and over and over again, right? He sees the things before him. He's hiding out in caves. He's running from Saul. Lord, where are you? Why have you not delivered me? Have you abandoned me? Then he always comes back to the assurance. God always reminds him, hey, this is who I am. Friends, that's, that's true for all of us. We can go to God with our doubts and our fears, and he's not going to kick us out. He's not going to turn us away. He wants us to bow there in his presence. And so we find that, that he allows these, these men to, to give their question, and he gives them grace, but then he, he gives them assurance in verse 22. He says there, go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Now I want you to see that this is assurance on three levels. This is confidence for us on three different levels. First, we see assurance in the power of Christ. Right? We said earlier, who else has the power to drive out sickness? Who else has the power to drive out demons? Who else has the power to raise even the dead? Nobody, right? We've never seen anyone else do that, but Jesus can do it. The point is, is he has the power to overthrow governments. That's what John expected. He has the power to take care of rulers. He has the power to care for you and I. That's why I read Psalm 121 this morning, right? It says that he is our protector. That he keeps our foot from slipping. He's our shade. He guards our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He has the power to do that and to make it right, to keep it. How often do we stop and just simply consider the power of God? You know, as a kid, I I was like most boys. thought my dad was the, the strongest, most powerful human on the face of the earth. And so, and in that time, he may have been. Uh, short, uh, short, until I met Delmer Watson, I was convinced it was true. And then I was like, well, maybe not. Maybe Delmer was a, a cut above. But when, when, thing, when Dad was not there, there was some doubts, right? There was some fear. But anytime he was present, things were good. Not, nobody could get to me. Nothing could happen because he was strong enough. He was powerful enough to take care of me. Well, friends, if that was true of my dad, who was a fallible man, who was not the strongest man on earth, how much more true is that of God? How much more of our heavenly father who can take care of us, who will not let us slip? We can trust him. He he is powerful. So we see that assurance in the power of Christ. Secondly, we see the assurance in fulfillment. When John heard all of this that Jesus was doing, Surely it sent him back to the Old Testament. Surely it sent him to to Isaiah chapter 26 and in verse 19. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in dust, awake and sing for joy. Then you flip over to, to Isaiah 35. 35 and in verse 15. Well, if I can get there. I'm sorry, verses 5 and 6. He says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
And then also in Isaiah 61 and in verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus is reminding John here that all that he is doing, it may not meet John's expectations, but what he is doing is what God had planned from him from the very foundations of the world. He is fulfilling all that, that God had given him to do, all that he had ordained. John expected different things, but Christ is bringing his expectations back to where they should be. Friends, again, when we have doubts, where do we run? We run here. We run here and we see the truth of who Jesus is. We see what he has done, what, what God had called him to do, and that he fulfilled it all. So we see assurance in his power, assurance in his fulfillment. Then we also see assurance in his message. Now, in verse 22, it's interesting there at the very end, he just kind of throws it in almost as an afterthought. But he says that the good news is preached to the poor. You know, we might be tempted to think that, that, that he just kind of, oh, yeah, we, I've done all these powerful things. I've raised people from the dead. And, and oh, yeah, this is happening, too. But friends, this is, this is the heart of it. This is the strength of it. This is where real change, real life-changing change happens. It's in the preaching of the word. You remember he said in Luke chapter 4 that he had been ordained to come and do what? Not heal, not, not raise people from the dead, even though he's going to do that. He had come to preach the word. He's come to expose our hearts. He's come to share with us the beauty of God's holy heart. And through his life, through his blood, he's come to reconcile the two together. And we find that in the preaching that Jesus did. We find that truth in what he said. It's the message of Christ preached. That was the greatest source of assurance for John and for everyone who heard it. It's the greatest source of assurance for us today. Through the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts. He shows us the truth of who we are, and he shows us the truth of Christ. May we never, may we never doubt that. May we never take for granted this. Not because of me or anybody else that stands in this pulpit, but because of the power of God to, to teach us through his word preached. Okay, That was the, the message that, that Jesus sent to the poor. He says that even, even John, as great as he is, in verse 28, that those who are in the kingdom of heaven, there's none, that they are even greater than John. It's amazing words, right? John is the greatest man ever born of woman, but those who are in the kingdom, they are greater than him because they have heard the word preached and they have seen it fulfilled. And so we have this threefold assurance, assurance in power, assurance in fulfillment, and assurance in the message. Simply put, the assurance is in Christ. Look to Jesus. Now, thirdly in this passage, I want you to see a gentle warning. We've seen surprising doubt. We've seen grace and assurance. And then thirdly and finally, a gentle warning. Uh, instead of harshly rebuking John, again, before this great crowd, uh, instead of sending his disciples back to him, uh, with the depths of his disappointment that John would ever sink to this level, 
Jesus gives John and he gives all of us these, these words in verse 28. He says, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I don't think that's the verse that I was looking for. Sorry, verse 23. Go back, go back. Verse 23. He says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So he's given him all of these great things that he has done. He says, here's your assurance. And he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, no, no, John, I will not meet your expectations, at least the way that you have them. No, John, I will not do the things that the way that you think they need to be done. Yes, there, there's going to be hardships, even unto death. Yes, there, there will be doubts. But don't fall away. Don't turn back because I truly am the one. It reminds us of those great warning passages in the book of Hebrews, right? Think of Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 6. You can go back and read them. We won't read them now. But over and over again, the author there, he says, don't turn away. Don't fall away. Keep going to the end. Because the reality is, is Jesus is that stumbling block that the, that the word describes him as in many, many will trip over him. Many will fall over the things that he says. We see that every day in the world right now. We don't like what he has to say to us. We don't like the way he taught. We don't like what he calls us and asks us to do. Jesus says, all these things I have said are true. Don't stumble. Don't fall away. Keep going. And in Romans 9, 33, Paul assures, assures us, those that do carry on, those that, that follow him as he leads, they will never be put to shame. The world may mock us, that they may hate us, all may fall away, but we will stand on the sure ground of our Savior. Friends, that is our blessed assurance. We're going to sing that song here in just a second. Jesus is with us. He, he is that one, that helper of Psalm 121. We look up to the hills and our help, it comes from the Lord. He stands with us. He will not allow our foot to slip. Our assurance is he, he is who he says he is. He is the one. And so we are not ashamed. We carry on. We follow him. I began this morning by asking you to consider that question. Is Jesus the one? So I ask now, have you considered it? What's your answer to that question? You put your faith in him. Will you trust in the maker of heaven and earth? Will you trust in the one, the only one, who can keep your foot from slipping, who will guard your going out and coming in from this time forth forevermore? Let's pray together. Father, as we think about these things, the reality is, is our hearts are prone to wander. Uh, they are prone to, to forget the, the wonderful things that, that you have done for us, the wonderful things that you have done for your people over and over and over again. And the truth is, is, is we even doubt. Uh, we doubt the, the reality of, of who you are. And Lord, we, we cry out to you for forgiveness. Uh, we, we shouldn't doubt. The reality is, is we shouldn't have those fears. But we are finite. We are sinful. But, Lord, what a joy it is to know that we can enter into your presence with them all. And you don't give us what our sins deserve, but, Lord, you welcome us. You offer us grace. You offer us assurance in our time of need. And so we pray that you would build our faith, 
Help us to trust more and more in what Jesus has done. Show us his power. Show us the way he has fulfilled your word and show us his message over and over and over again. Uh, and Lord, we, we take that, that warning to heart. Help us to, to carry on. Lord, it's not that we persevere in our own strength. It's not that we persevere in our own might. But you are there carrying us along. You are there dragging us along. Uh, you're the one that get us, gets us safely home. But Lord, help us always to keep our eyes on Jesus. And Lord, again, how, how we praise you for that, that sure cornerstone, that, that sure foundation that is Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.